today. Overwhelm is based on fear. All overwhelm is based on fear. Fear of the future, fear of not getting it done, fear of not getting it done on time, fear of not getting it right, fear of not getting it properly done, fear of getting it uh, not finished, fear of fear of fear, fear of being fearful, fear of being afraid of fear, fear, fear of fear, fear of the future. And fear is something you can deal with. And fear doesn't help overcome overwhelm unless, of course, there's a uh, aeroplane about to drop a bomb on your building and you're overwhelmed with the possibilities of what that's going to happen and that overwhelm will drive adrenaline through your body and cause you to run like stink down the road and you might just be able to use fear and overwhelm to you for your own benefit. At a level of sport, overwhelm doesn't help. Too many variables, fear of losing, fear of not getting it right, puts up a thousand shields to performance. And so a person who's in overwhelm and therefore locked into fear is highly likely to miss the target. If you were in the World Cup, uh, in the football, in the Olympics or whatever it is, and your team's come to a draw at the end of uh, added time and you've got to do one of those horrific things, which is the kickoff in front of billions of fans like um, Beckham uh, as captain of England and, and you're the last person and if you miss, you lose the World Cup, which is 12 months and billions of dollars of investment and trillions of fans, or you get it and you become the hero of the world and you live happily ever after and there is the ball, there is the goalie, the whistle goes off and you've got so many seconds before you must plant your foot against that ball. Overwhelm would be a completely understandable opportunity or emotion because overwhelm, 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 cameras watching people, watching family watching, you watching, head in their space, you start thinking about where you're going to put your foot, overwhelm, overwhelm, there's the goalie, there's the crowd, boo, boo, overwhelm, overwhelm, and the probability of getting the, the ball in the, in the goal gets less. Now, you've seen champions not get overwhelmed in your life. You've seen leaders, uh, gee, I remember um, the leader of uh, Qantas in Australia when he decided to hench thousands of people and he put the service department for the Qantas aeroplanes over in Singapore and he changed this and changed that. Man, was he under the attack as a business leader. And you know what? This, this beautiful, beautiful, scented, balanced man did something really dirty and hard and he took it right on, right between the eyes, never got overwhelmed. You've seen politicians be attacked um, uh, at, at the highest and most personal level and the majority of them don't get overwhelmed. You can imagine the Prime Minister of, of Australia at the present time with COVID, everybody's telling him he did it right, did it wrong, did it right, did it wrong and it would be easy with all the variables and still trying to manage his own life and have a poo in the morning and go for a walk. It would be very easy for that person in that job or Donald Trump when they're trying to impeach him and they're taking him to court, very easy to get overwhelmed. But there you go, 
you you look at the the television there's in the middle of a war or middle of a really bad decision there's trump on one of his golf courses playing golf with mates uh, there's Bill Clinton in the thing playing with cigars. The fact of the matter is Clinton or Kennedy or Trump or Prime Minister of Australia or England or whatever it is, these people are under enormous opportunity to be overwhelmed. Whether you're a soccer player, whether you're a, pre a Prime Minister, whether you're a President or whether you're a, a leader of a small team, you have the opportunity to become overwhelmed. And overwhelmed is the finish. Overwhelmed is the end. If you see somebody get flustered, Trump did it a couple of times and nearly lost the plot. Um, I've seen Australian prime ministers get angry in press conferences. Uh, I've seen, uh, but you know, when, uh, when the US invaded uh, the Middle East uh, as a reaction to 9-11, um, I saw every day uh, generals stand up and talk about losing troops and knowing that the world was in mourning over uh, terrible atrocities and things like that and stand there and deliver a really, really, not cold, but a really calculated presentation on the facts of the matter. And so great leaders do not get overwhelmed. And if you get overwhelmed once in front of your troops, I would suggest that's the end of your job and you're better to start looking for a new place to go where people haven't witnessed you being overwhelmed. But if they're witnessing it, which is what we've talked about already in the 30 days, if they're witnessing red flags go up, if they're witnessing you get uh, grumpy, if they're witnessing you get uh, reactive, if they're witnessing any of these things, which are signs of overwhelm, uh, you're done. Nobody, nobody will forget it. Uh, and that is uh, packing up. 60 odd years of experience in sport and business and politics and councils and governance of schools and sitting on the boards of companies. This is uh, leading people in the Himalayas. This is the bottom line. If I led a group into the Himalayas and I got overwhelmed with the circumstances and they saw that overwhelm through my grumpiness or bad moods or criticism or sarcasm or nastiness to somebody, that would be the end of my leadership and the, the group would fragment. And I can tell you a story about that uh, at another time where I did get overwhelmed and I did lose the group in terms of followership. So uh, the ability not to be overwhelmed uh, has some components to it. And uh, the first component, which is this podcast, and this audio, which is really important for you to understand, is a balanced mind cannot be overwhelmed. Fear of the future means you're in the future. And the future is uh, uh, up, up a distance away and, uh, and it is not in the present. So in this present moment, like uh, Eckhart Tolle's work on power of now, basically the power of now is for people who are sick who are wounded, who are broken or overwhelmed. How to overcome it is the power of now. Now this, is, this book is not, advo not advocating, never did advocate, the place to live your life is in the now. That is not possible. That is a ridiculous notion. But if you're in the verge of being overwhelmed, the power of now is the secret to the solution of how to get back and get back behind the reins of the horse and get back 
uh, into the driver's seat and get back on the bus. And the main reason you want to do it is not just for productivity, not just for your own health, but one single molecule of that overwhelm gets out the door through an email, through a conversation, through a meeting, through your reaction on a screen, and you're cooked. And you'll have to find another job or replace your entire team because none of those people are going to believe that you can lead ever again. And people have extraordinary long memories. I sometimes coach a person and, I, and, and I'm coaching them and, the, and I'll say, I coach so-and-so or, or they'll say, I worked with so-and-so and, and they'll have a memory of an experience with that person 20 years back. And people really, really remember the powerful presence that comes when a person loses the plot and they feel centered when someone else doesn't and they remember these moments in time when people lost the plot, when a parent got overwhelmed with a child. If a parent gets overwhelmed, loses their temper, gets angry, starts screaming and shouting and screams at the child and starts to assert authority but in form of a physical way or in terms of an angry way, the child will never ever from that day forward trust the parent's leadership. They will question it, question it, question it. And it's not a bad thing because the child becomes self-reliant, self-dependent. But it's certainly tough gig for the parent because if they lose the plot and get screaming angry and get really overraged, they demonstrated overwhelm. They just demonstrated that they couldn't cope and the child will never forget, ever, until the day of their death. I can take any person I coach, any person I coach, and they will remember the days, they will remember the moments when their parents, 30, 40, 50, doesn't matter, 60 years ago, lost it. And, and that was the day that the kid grew up and the parent grew down. So overwhelm is a really, really, really important topic. In fact, a person who isn't overwhelmed is a leader automatically. People will gravitate to them. Now, Overwhelm comes from a multitude of things. I don't have to really go through that on this uh, uh, echo chamber, but I can go through a few. Overwhelm can come by uh, loss, fear of loss, fear of uh, uh, getting it wrong, fear of um, uh, losing the game and actually losing something and then not bouncing back and having a, a, a good positive attitude towards failure. Uh, overwhelm can come from... Uh, criticism and that gets through the the armor plating that we've tried to create here the bulletproof shield that gets through the bulletproof shield because you're attached to something and makes you the thing that's being criticized for example if you do some work and you present something and someone criticizes the work and criticizes the presentation it's still not criticizing you but if you're attached to the presentation and attached to the work and say, that is me, then the criticism gets through your armour plating and gets into what you define as you, which is not accurate. It's attached and nature is teaching you to detach from the things you do and just do them uh, with love, which means not attachment. So uh, overwhelm is a sign that we're not evolved. And the, the echo, the... Um, the model that I use or the statement that I use and I love it is are you stressed then evolve your bastard now what does evolve mean evolve means see balance if you see balance in something you automatically rise from got to to love to 
So an overwhelmed person is in got to or worse. Now below got to, if, if we say got to is a ratio of seven negatives to one positive, which is fear, or seven positives to one negative, which is elation, if a person's in that state, their mind is in absolute overwhelm. They're overwhelmed with joy uh, and uh, an appetite, or they're overwhelmed with depression and sadness and fear. So either way, they're either stuck in the past, meaning the, the overwhelm uh, that they're having is triggered a memory, and that memory is flooding into the present, which is overwhelming, or they're in the future, which they're worried about losing something and therefore in fear, and that overwhelms and comes back to sabotage the present. So a person who is in overwhelm is in got to. And the solution, and below got to, if you're in got to, and the overwhelm goes eight to one, you become suicidal. Now, suicidal is not necessarily what everyone thinks, which means suicidal physically means to take, or spiritually, let's say, means to take your life. But you can become suicidal in your health and start eating badly or drinking too much. That's suicide, what's called slow suicide. So overwhelm has, has, a, has its tentacles in different ways into different areas of your life. Overwhelm in a relationship is starting to be unromantic, having affairs, starting to be critical of the partner, starting to be judgmental of the person you're with, starting to expect more than they've got, starting to be uh, ungrateful for what you've got. And that is slow suicide of every relationship. You can start today being unthankful for your partner, either to their face or a secret. And I guarantee you in two to three years time, you'll be single and no going back because you've demonstrated overwhelm. You can go into your, um, in your business, go to work and again, demonstrate overwhelm, ungrateful, too much, fear of the future, guilt of the past, stuck there. And, and if you're in an eight to one ratio or even in a got to, but let's say you're in an eight to one ratio of why bad this job is and how, much I, how many things are gonna go wrong if I don't get this work done today, you're, you get into what's called slow suicide below got to and you start to sabotage your employment. You start to criticize people and what you're asking for is please pay me to get out of this fucking place. And you're hoping like hell that they uh, rid you of your job, but actually give you a bit of a bonus on the way out so you've got some garden leave or whatever it is. And if I'm running a company and I help people run many businesses throughout the world and teams and, and organizations and communities in that way, I find the people who are slow suiciding and invite them, coach them up or coach them out because I don't want sabotage to be the mechanism of exit from people from a business or from life or from a family. I think there's a choice. If you choose to leave, that's great, fantastic. Choose to leave, choose to leave. And if you choose to try and get a bonus on the way out, that's good, it's a choice. But if it's through slow sabotage, which is slow suicide, that's not what I think is healthy. There's social suicide when we start to be critical of family and friends and isolate ourselves. And this is, leads to what's called currently the uh, avalanche of depression because people are slow suiciding from their social connections. And then you go around to the other areas of life, the mental, slow suicide mentally is, it can even be uh, alcohol, but it can also be being righteous or religious or something where we get absolutely stuck in 
critical thinking, critical thinking, critical thinking. We get critical of ourselves, critical of others. And that's a mental stain that starts to, that will eventually lead to Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's and many other mental dilemmas and even lost focus, which will cause inevitably an accident. So slow suicide is an exit system. Uh, it's a self-sabotaging system that comes when we're overwhelmed, greater than seven to one. At seven to one, we might say, I've got to get out of here. And we have still some sense of grip. And that's in nature, the definition of hope. When the bottom line for all human existence in human nature is the word hope. If you hear someone say, I hope I win. I hope I get this promotion. I hope. It means they've got no bloody hope. They've got no uh, hope of any influence on the, on the result. They're praying that some universal trigger gives them. So it's no different to a casino. And so when a person gets into the word hope, they're running along the got-to barrier. And if they get below hope, they're in suicide. Fast or slow, it's irrelevant. Slu suicide, fast or slow, it's irrelevant. We can arrest both of them by helping ourselves and others not be in a state of self-sabotage, not be in a state of overwhelm. Let's continue with this and say, if, if you want people to follow you as a leader, you have to be where they want to go. So a leader must be where people want to go. Now, if a leader's walking around stressed and looking tired and overwhelmed and staying up late, working too long hours and this, and they say, hey, follow me, you can, you, you, you can go where I am. And everyone looks at them and says, really, really, you want me to go get fat? You want me to get tired? You want me to look old? You want me to look like I'm not having enjoyment? You want me to follow you? Forget about it. People follow where leaders are. And so where you're acting, where you're behaving, what you're being in all seven areas of your life combine to cause the thing that makes people choose whether they want to follow you or not. So I know you pay people and I know you hold ransom over to people in the corporate world, but ultimately looking at you going, if I follow you, will I end up like you? And if you're in a world that's not happy, if you're in a world that's out of balance at home or out of balance in your health or suffering from what's called overwhelm, you're cooked because nobody wants to be who you are and they will not follow. They will do it out of duty like slaves would in a, in a rowboat and if you whip them, they'll row the boat. That's the only thing left if your life and your modelling and your proposition is not uh, a state of balanced, centred and calm. And here we go for today's homework. Balance eliminates the future. So if you're in a state of mental balance right now, you're in the zone, in the pocket, right now in a love to state. That's the definition of love to, balance. Two sides to everything. If you see balance in something, you're at love to. There is no other place you can be. If you see half balance in something, like mild balance, you're in a want to. If you see extreme imbalance, you're in a got to. Got to, people are overwhelmed. So when you're sitting there with all your big task lists and everything sitting in front of you, the, the thing about it is, if you've got too much to do and too little time, you're out of balance. And the question will be, what can you cut away? What can you eliminate? What, how can you bring yourself back into balance? Firstly, see the benefit in not getting everything done because that is uh, an emotional 
feeling that you may be uh, being under, under all of it, you may be being triggered by uh, uh, the fear of not getting it all done. And therefore, you need to put a column on your sheet and say, what's the benefit of not getting it all done on time? What's the benefit of not doing what my boss asked for? What's the benefit of not getting it all done? And you need to know that in order to be able to handle volume. The second thing is, what's the drawback of getting it all done? Which is sort of the same as the benefit of not, but what's the drawback of getting it all done? Now we know what the benefit of getting it all done is. Everyone raves about it and says, oh, when I get my to-do list done, I'll be fantastic. When I get this done, I'll be, but they're bullshitting themselves because to-do lists are ever-filling buckets of sand that's coming down on your head. And I don't like to-do lists. I don't really like them at all. I like to know what's important today. I know what's critical for the day. I know what's mission critical. And therefore, and I'm also not afraid of getting it all, not getting it all done. So the four columns that you do are about making sure there's no feeling or emotional uh, 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 fear or anxiety building up in you about not getting it all done. You really have to own the fact that you won't get it all done and there's never a time to get it all done and the avalanche of work will keep flooding like sand through an hourglass and therefore getting used to the fact you're not going to get it all done and owning that feeling and not making it cause anxiety becomes a really, really important component of not being overwhelmed. You've just got to go, I'm not going to get it all done, oh well. The second part about uh, 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 balance and dealing with the got-to state of mind and finding the two sides to everything is to look at everything on your list and say, what's the benefit and drawback of getting this done? And it has to be equal. What's the drawback and benefit of not getting this done? And it has to be equal. And once you've done that, all the tasks that you have all the duties that you have ahead of you will will go to a flat playing field and then you have the process of plucking out the pearls and what i mean by that is let's just say you have on your plate today a quote for a client a report to do for hr your expense sheet you have um, a tax form to fill in you have five employees to interview for the future you have two people to do a job review. It's a bloody lot of work. And really the company's saying to you, love to get all that done by Friday because you're under pressure and we need this done. So the thing is, you're going to be able to have to sit there and go, what's mission critical? What's mission critical about all of the things I just mentioned is the quote. And what's mission critical about the quote you're going to do is the price. So the question is, how quickly can I get from the start of the quote to the price, how shortly can I deliver the price and how little can I do to package that price in a sales mission? In other words, the client needs to know the price and the benefit of the delivery. That job would take priority for me in all of the things I've just mentioned and bugger everything else. And I would spend as little time as possible, work it out the price, not spend hours and hours with a great big volumetric report. I would go to my last report, I would take all the company-based information, tack it on the back as a, as a, as a um, addendum. I would reflect in the first letter saying, we know what you want, this is it, and here's the price. And I would leave that dry, clean, honest quotation. The next step, and you think, oh, I could do more and it won't sell, and no, it's not true. Simplicity wins. Second thing I would do, 
I would do what is mission critical in terms of um, remunerative benefit. I would do the expense report. Now you might say that doesn't sound like a high priority thing, but for me, getting paid and making sure my expenses are on target and getting, getting remunerated back, that's a priority. The next thing I do, I would say, would be the HR gonna jump up and down and make the most noise. So the next thing I would do is shorten all the interviews that are gonna be one hour each into half hour blocks, and I would do them what's called cluster. And cluster means back to back. I would do five job reviews in half an hour, or even if I had to take longer, half an hour, but I'd take them absolutely five minute break in between them, bang, 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 and get them all done in a bunch. One of the things that we do accidentally when we've got a lot of work on, we start to say, I'll do that then or not, we start to cherry pick. And next thing you know, our brain is going left, right and center. But if you get into the zone of doing um, um, uh, briefings on people's performance and whatever it is, if you get into the zone of that and you do them back to back to back, and you, you say to myself, I'm gonna count my blessings and enjoy the process, you will not be tired at the end of it. But if you take five uh, briefings and you say, I'll do one on Monday, one on Tuesday, you have to zone into that space and then you have to zone out for the next job, you will be exhausted from it. It's really hard. So I would cluster those. And last but not least, the job interviews for people for the future, I'd say if I didn't get it done this week, I'd do it next week. It's all okay. So I, again, uh, 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 preempting everything I've said here, a balanced mind can do a lot of stuff in a very short period of time, but an unbalanced mind will go into overwhelm. Overwhelm will lead to uh, fragmentation. Fragmentation leads to scattering, and scattering leads to possibly doing what other people think is important, like what HR think is important first, but that's actually not what you're there for. If you say, what's the company remunerating me for? What are they gonna pay me for? They're gonna pay you to get those quotes out and get those jobs sold, etc., etc. So I hope you've uh, grasped this. I'm happy to discuss it with you, but this is a, a really important piece of, a really important piece of how to not be overwhelmed and therefore, which is the, which is the absolute essential, how to be a great leader to stay balanced, centered, and calm. This is step one. I'm gonna do centered and calm after this.